Please turn now, once again, in your Bibles to Psalm number 65, Psalm 65. And we're going to be looking at one of these verses in our preaching this evening. Psalm 65, and we're going to be looking at verse 4, just verse number 4 this evening. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest, and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. And we're going to be looking at this verse in the psalm under the title, The Blessing of Being a Christian. The Blessing of Being a Christian. I remember it's been, I think, 14 years since I was saved. I was saved in March of 2009. And I've been a Christian now for 14 years, and it's been the most wonderful period of my life by far. But the longer we're Christians, and I'm sure we all um, would agree with this, it's easy to take things for granted, isn't it? The longer it's been since we've been saved or converted or since the Lord did a work in our hearts. Uh, You could have something so wonderful in front of you for many years. It's still wonderful, but you can take it for granted. You You can forget to see how wonderful it is. Those of us who are married, it's so easy for us, isn't it, to take our wife or our husbands for granted. And it's usually when we go through tough times and we see how special that they really are, then we really, really appreciate them. That's the same with our children. When they leave the house, we'll start to remember how important they were around the house. One thing that got me thinking about how special it is to be a Christian was back in 2020. And we had that period of time when we weren't able to come to the public worship of God. And I think one of the things that bothered me about that period was I was too I personally was too comfortable with not coming to the worship every week and that's this is a personal confession of mine and it concerned me that it didn't concern me enough something was wrong with my own attitude because I realized I didn't see how special public worship was it was something I needed to work on in my own heart and my own soul Being a Christian is really special. Meeting with our God every Sabbath day, indeed here in the the prayer meeting, as we come before God, as we hear his word being preached, as we praise God, it's special because our God is special. And to be able to come into his presence is a wonderful and special thing. And it's so easy, so easy to forget that. And when we forget that, we can drift in our walk from God. The blessing that I want us to look at here this evening is really looking at this one verse, verse number four in Psalm number 65. And in verse four, blessed is the man whom thou choosest. Blessed is the man. And he can come into the courts of God He's satisfied with the goodness of the house of God, even of thy holy temple. And to be there in the presence of Almighty God is a great and enormous thing. It's not 
something common. It's something holy. It's something special. And it's only us Christians, born again of the Spirit of God, are going to want to be in the presence of God. It's only us whom God has done a work on that we're going to want to be in his presence. And we should, and we, I'm sure many of us do, feel pity and sorrow for those who do not want to be in the presence of Almighty God. What makes us better from them? We, we, we evangelize, we give out tracts, we, we share the gospel with people, but sadly, until God does a work in our hearts, they're just not going to be interested, are they? That doesn't mean we still don't do the work we do. But what makes the difference? What makes us different? Why are we here with the love of God in our hearts? It's not us. It's God. And we must never forget that because we're the most privileged people upon the face of the earth. Regardless of how much money we may have, And we must not think of, say we have rich neighbors down the road. They may have much money, but if they do not have Christ, they are truly poor in the the way that it matters the most. If they do not have Christ, it's not the ones with the most important jobs and the most important influence. It's those who have Christ of the greatest riches. It is you, dear friends, believers in Jesus Christ. You have far greater riches and far greater things to boast about, not in yourselves, but in the kingdom we've been brought into by faith in the Redeemer. We cannot boast in ourselves, but we surely can boast in what the psalmist writes about in verse 4. We're blessed. We've been caused to approach unto him. And our God has pitied us so that we have this great and wonderful privilege blessing us with his presence The first point we're going to look at here this evening as we look at this verse, we're going to look at it under four headings. The first heading is this, the source, the source, and the source of this blessing is God's choice, God's choice, or we could also say God's election, God's election. Uh, the, The outline we're going to be looking at here this evening is really almost thinking about a stream or a river. Rivers have a source, and sometimes those sources can be very difficult to see. I don't know if anybody knows about the the Nile River in Egypt. It travels through Egypt and many other countries in Africa, and actually it's very difficult to see where the source of that Nile River is. It's so big, it's so vast, and we as Christians can struggle to remember the greatest thing to ever happen to us we forget it so easily it's our salvation it's coming to know God what do I mean well we can often struggle with the source of why we came to Christ now we can think of so many things when we came to Christ we can think of what was happening in our lives We can think about what emotional state we were in. We can think of the struggles we went through. We can think of the dissatisfaction with the world. And these things are all important, of course. We can think of instruments that God used, like a godly family, to to bring the gospel to us. We can think of that wonderful Sabbath school teacher who took extra time with us to explain the gospel message 
But as wonderful as those things are, they're not the source of our salvation. The source of our salvation is laid out here in verse 4. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest. That's God. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest. It's God who chooses. This is God's choice. And when did this happen? Did God look down and into future and saying that that man will come to me. He will freely of his own decision choose me. Or was it God taking pity on fallen, helpless sinners? You see, the source of our blessing is God. His choice. He looked upon you. It was not us. It's so easy to think that man is the difference in salvation. And this is so important that we wrap our minds around because when we go out and we share tracts with people and we share the gospel with people, what will determine their eternal destiny is not even our efforts. We still try our best. It's God. So often we can think of if they could just wrap their minds around something with their friends, they need to be born again. They need spiritual life. God's choice spoken about here was before the foundation of the world. Before he even spoke the world into existence. Before there was even time itself, God chose out a people for himself. He chose his people before there ever was anything that we see around us. All the beauty we see around us. There was a time before time began. There was a time when none of this existed. This is why we're here. Do you see that? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's why you're here. It's not because you're smarter than your neighbor. It's not because you were more diligent because you took the time to read your Bible one day and you trusted. Yes, that's what happened. But why did you? See, dear friends, what the, the importance of this is that we never ever think we're better than anybody. There are people who will spend an eternity in hell of their own merits, or maybe much better than us. We are undeserving sinners. Why did God choose us? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 7 lays out this for us. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 9. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 to 9. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, And because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But do you see, dear believer in Jesus Christ, 
The Lord did not look upon Old Testament Israel and say, Oh, look how impressive they are. They're so much better than all the nations. <laughs> Actually, not at all. He said to them, You were, you were, because you were more numbered. No, for ye were the fewest of all people. There's a sense in which on paper you were the least impressive. But he set his love upon them nonetheless. Why did he love them? Because he set his love his redeeming, electing, choosing love upon them. Completely undeserved. Completely undeserved. And this is not just the case of Old Testament Israel. Of all the people of God who have been come into the presence of Almighty God is because God has chosen them. The believer in Christ and his love brought about this choice. It's not a love we deserve. But it's a love we have received. A love that began before the foundation of the world. And that makes it even more special when we consider the source of this love. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul writing under the inspiration of the spirit of almighty God. We'll begin our reading actually in verse 3. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Before the foundation of the world. That's a pretty special love, isn't it? That's just not just some casual thing. Our God does not change. He is the unchanging and unchangeable one. And when we hear the source of our blessing, we should see how special our salvation is. Why am I here? It's a question we should ask ourselves. It's the question every person made in the image of Almighty God, should ask themselves, why am I here? Yes, we can think of the shorter catechism, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But why am I here in church? Why am I here in the presence of Almighty God, willing to worship Him, loving to worship Him? Because He chose us, and He set His love upon us. Because we so easily, but for that redeeming and electing love, we would just be like anyone else. We would be out in the world. We would be that person who would receive that tract, scoff at it, tear it up and throw it in the bin. That could be us. That's how special our salvation is. He chose you, dear friend. He chose you. What did Jesus say? This is not just the teaching of various parts of scripture. Jesus himself taught this. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16. John chapter 15 and verse 16. John chapter 15 and verse 16. He said this, the Lord said, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that Whatsoever ye shall ask of, my, of the Father in my name, 
he may give it you. What do you think the point that the Lord is trying to make? You have not chosen me. And there's also almost a sense in which the Jews really struggled in the first century to think that they were not better than anyone else. That their lineage going back thousands of years was what they were trusting in often. He said to them, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Do you want to know the difference between you and the Gentiles? Do you want to know the difference between you and the other nations that follow after pagan idols? I have chosen you. And if you bring forth fruit, it is because I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. The source is not in them. The difference in this blessing of following Christ was not them, it was God. When Jesus prays in John 17, verse 9, John 17, verse 9, Jesus is praying. Does he pray for everyone in the world? Or does he pray for a specific group of people? John 17, verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Do you see? If you are here this day, it is because the Lord Jesus Christ chose you and he prayed for you here to his Father in heaven. The source of this blessing is God's choice. Number two now, we're going to look at the movement. The movement, and that's God's life. God's life. And this blessing of being a Christian, it's much like a stream or a river. And a river has movement. It goes from one point to another point. It does not remain still. And so it is with any life. It does not remain where it is. Life has a movement. And that movement travels in a certain direction. In our text it says, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. God causes us to approach him. The reason we approach him and go in that direction in the first place is because God causes it to happen. And what does it mean to move in the direction of God? Do we think, let's think about this for a second. If we go in the direction of God and his holiness, will it have an impact on our relationship with sin? It surely will. It surely will. We need to be made alive to come and to move toward him in the first place. Now, what is the reality of most people on this island today? Many people, and they may say that they're Protestants and they may go to church, maybe every now and again, maybe at a baptism or something like that. But do they really approach God? Do they really love him? Why can they not come and approach God? Until we have forsaken our sin. And until we are no longer dead in trespasses and sins, we cannot approach God. You see, if we approach God, as the text says, and cause us to approach unto thee, we are going to leave behind something. 
And we're going to leave behind something that is not welcome in the presence of Almighty God. And that is sin. What did Paul write to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. Paul wrote under the inspiration of of the Spirit of Almighty God. Paul wrote this in verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's really talking to people who are now, who are now Christians, were not in the past. He's saying, you were dead in trespasses and sins. That's in the past. We're in time past. He walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's what they have been delivered from. That's what they have come away from. Verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation, that's our behavior in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But you see there, there's, some, there's a movement away from death. There's a movement away from being dead and trespassed and sins. There's a difference. And as that stream flows, it flows in a certain direction. And only those with life will come. Only those with life will come. And how do we get this life? Now, the problem is, if you go through the Psalms, in Psalm 14, it says, There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who seeketh after God. And this is not just a select group of people who are the worst of the worst. This is everybody. This is natural man. So there's none that seeketh after God. There's none who look for God. You see, unless God has chosen us, we don't have any hope at all. And that they are brought in a time that is pleasing to God to spiritual Life That they would go from being that person who doesn't seek after God to a person who does seek and approaches unto Almighty God. Years ago, um, some of you may remember the seeker-sensitive movement, which is, it was really a nonsense, a bit of a movement, because the sinner never seeks after God. If somebody's seeking after God, they've been converted. (laughs) They've been born again of the Spirit of God. Only a saved Christian seeks after God. The mistake that the movement made was that, well, there are some lost people seeking the true God. There may be some discontented lost people who may be more willing to listen to the gospel. Absolutely, and there are people like that. But until they've been born again, They will not approach unto God. Because it's only by faith and by faith alone. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness are those spoken about here that are caused to approach unto God. Because unless they have this life, and Jesus described himself this way, I am the truth, the way, and the life. Without Jesus, you don't have life. Life is only found in Christ. And only those made alive by Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, will ever cause to approach unto God. See, this stream, it starts from the source of God, chosen by God to flow in the direction of God. 
He begins it, but he is the final, ultimate, wonderful destination. He is that life. His life leads to him. You see, our God is not a means to an end. He is the end itself. So often in salvation, people can describe the gospel and say, yeah, I did that years ago, I'm fine now. The gospel message is the most wonderful message for the Christian. He's never going to outgrow it. And he's never going to say, I'm done with that. That's what's wonderful about being a Christian. You are coming to God. Your desire is toward God. Your movement in your life. You may have setbacks. You may backslide for time. But your general overall movement of your life from the point of once you've been born again will be toward God. Toward God. Before your movement toward God, the trend of your life was death. It was a wide river, a dangerous river, a deceptive river which drowns many victims. It is a river that flows in the direction of death and the direction of hell. However, wonderfully, God is something far greater for you. A change in direction from death to life, from sin to righteousness, from misery to joy in Christ. And I know in the Bible it does not promise an easy ride. It doesn't. But even in the midst of horrible hardships, there's joy. To the world that makes absolutely no sense. But to the Christian who finds joy in the midst of trial and challenge, it makes complete sense. That peace that passes all understanding. Have you been made, dear friends, to approach unto God? It is by faith that we approach unto God. It is because we've been born again that we approach unto God. It is because we love him that we approach unto God. So that's the movement of the Christian's life. Number three, now the place. Well, you're moving from a place to another place. So number three now, the place, God's nearness. God's nearness. I don't know about you, but you know when people go on holidays and what do they like to do? We like to go somewhere different, don't we? We want to get away from the house. We want to often travel to a place where we don't have to tidy it for a while. And and the place is nicely kept. and, And it's relaxing. Somewhere different. It's nice to have a break and go from one place to another place. To go maybe from our slightly messy house at times to somewhere really nice. Well, dear friends, when we come to Christ, we come from a place of squalor and mess to a place of royalty at the sight of God. It says in our text once again, in verse 4, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. That he may dwell in thy courts. Thy courts. The place of the Christian is nearness to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, think about this. Is it a place of mess? Not at all. It is a place of order. It is a place of beauty. It is a place of joy. It is a place of justice. It is a place of righteousness. 
It is a place of shining radiance. It is a place of sweet smelling aroma. It is a place of home. The courts of holiness at the right hand of God. The Christian has approached these courts because he or she now desires to be in them. This holiness by God's side is something attractive. See, when we share the gospel, we don't have to make the gospel message attractive. It is attractive. The problem is fallen sinners don't see it that way. We don't have to dress up the gospel. The gospel is wonderful. The gospel is glorious. The gospel is radiance itself. The problem is fallen man is blind to that beautiful message he's been shared. When you think about it, Fallen man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the greatest message he can ever hear is there's a way out. There's another who has died in his place, taken all his punishment. And what does man think? No. He won't come to it until he's saved. He won't. He's offered this wonderful place at the sight of God in Christ, a place of Wonder, a place of beauty, a place of order. But no, he says, I would rather return to my place of squalor. I would rather return to the stench of my own works. You see, friends, the, the sight of God is heaven itself. That's the blessings of being a Christian. Now, we have tastes of being a We have tastes of heaven today. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us tastes of it. He dwells among us in the public worship in a special way. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It speaks about where the believer is even today, even before he has died and gone to heaven, even before the new heavens and the new earth. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. But that, verse 6 again hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You might think, how is that possible? How can we have this nearness to God even today when we're in this lost and fallen world? And you you may be in a place in your your life where you're, you're maybe in a job or you're struggling with the sin around you and other things like that, even the sin in our own hearts. But we're in union with Christ. We're in union with Christ. There's that nearness, there's that union with him that cannot ever be broken with anything that is in this world. We are in royal courts. We have moved to a palace by the king. Again, we said that he may dwell in thy courts. To to dwell among the courts of almighty God. That is a wonderful privilege. One way of thinking about this wonderful privilege might be the book of Esther. Queen Esther 
she had to approach unto the king of Persia at the time. And if she went into the court of this king, what would happen to her without permission? She would die. That's what we all deserve outside of Christ. What happened to her? She put on royal robes. She prepared herself. And that king extended the golden scepter toward her. Permission was granted for this great privilege to come into the court to petition the king. And even this queen was received. Her petitions were answered. Clothed with royal robes. Oh friends, we are so blessed to be in his courts. A final point this evening is the refreshment. The refreshment. God's goodness. And any stream, any river has refreshment depending on the type of water that is flowing through that river. Yes, we come to a better place by God's side. It's God himself that is the ultimate reward. Verse 4, once again in Psalm 65. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. And that goodness is God himself. If you are thirsty, what will you look for? Water. Water. But will any water do? Will any water do? Well, if you go to a river and that stream is pure, clean, fresh, then you will have refreshment for your thirst. But if you go to a source of water that is salty, what will happen? Will it quench your thirst? Does it satisfy? Actually, the more you drink salt water or seawater, the more thirsty you become. And that's a lot like the world, isn't it? You know, if you're ever out in a boat and you're off in the sea, people say, don't drink the seawater. And the world is a lot like that. The world, we will drink more and more of that thing that looks like it will satisfy. Actually, on the surface, you think it's going to satisfy you, and it doesn't. The world loves its sin, but that world does not get satisfied from what it has. All the houses, all the cars, all the money. It's it's but seawater. And it leaves no relief for the weary soul. They drink expecting to have relief, but none comes. Actually, what happens, it gets worse and worse. And you'll see this, won't you? You'll see this with celebrities and and people who have much money and fame. And and they'll come to the, 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 the peak of the mountain. They look like they have all the world. And they are at their most miserable point, aren't they? Because it doesn't satisfy. But what about those who leave behind the world? Who say no to the seawater that is the world. And they come to the goodness of thy house. They come to the goodness of God's house. Even of thy holy temple or his holy palace. Yes, because we've been made in the image of God. Augustine wrote it this way. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. And our heart is restless. Until it finds rest in thee. See what Augustine was writing. We've been made in the image of God. And we're not 
going to be satisfied with anything short of God himself because we've been made in the image of God. Song of Solomon 4.15, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Revelation 7.17, for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What will he lead them to? Living fountains of waters. Do you see the picture? The only place of satisfaction for the Christian is at the side of Almighty God. Indeed for anyone. Indeed for anyone. Your thirst is quenched. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. They shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. Do you hunger for righteousness? You're hungering for the goodness of God. And that's because God has done a work in your heart. And you will only hunger and thirst for that as if God has done a work in your heart. The goodness of God. This is what's so special about being a Christian. You have the goodness of God that will satisfy your soul. And when we come to the public worship of God, there's a special way which God dwells among his people, doesn't he? Psalm 87 verse 2 says this, The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Do you see what is being said here in this psalm? God loves the gates of Zion. It's not that he doesn't love the dwellings of Jacob. Not not that he doesn't love our private worship at home. It's not that he doesn't love our family worship. But there's something even more special in the gates of Zion among the public worship of Almighty God. It's not that God is not in every place omnipresent, but there's a special place where he's in the Holy of Holies to dwell among his people. Even in the Solemn League and Covenant. What were they hoping for when they wrote that in 1647 and 1643? They wanted that we and our posterity after us may as brethren live in faith and love and the Lord may delight to dwell In our midst. They too. Wanted to have. Satisfaction. In the goodness. Of almighty God. Dear friends. As we pray this evening. As we call upon our God in worship. Do you see it's a wonderful thing. To be a Christian. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's a blessing and a privilege that begins with God. It ends with God. And it's never going to be taken away from you. Because it has been given by God. You've been made to approach God. You've been made to be alive by God. We who delight in God and his goodness. You see, we don't come just to tick a religious box in coming to church. We come to delight in God. And God delights to dwell in our midst. Is there anything better in this world? Can we think of anything that's more wonderful than being here this evening? Can we think of anything more special than meeting with God on Sabbath day? So as we think about these things, as the Sabbath day approaches next Sabbath day, just think about how special it is to know him and to, to delight in him, to be satisfied with the goodness of his house, even of his holy temple. Thank <laughs> you.